You cannot stay in your seat after that. Stand up, ladies. Stand up. We have got to pray together before the throne of grace as we get into the word tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can come into your presence. Thank you that we can stand before the throne of grace. What a privilege it is to be here. Lord, tonight may we not take your word lightly. May our ears be attuned to you, God, that you might give us a, a glimpse like you gave Rosemary, Lord, a glimpse of what it can be like as we dwell with you even while we're in this body, Lord. Give us a glimpse, Lord, tonight. Just a glimpse, Lord. Thank you for your word that will speak to us. And all God's women said, amen, amen. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's get our Bibles open. This week we asked what if. This week we asked why not. And as we went through those questions, I believe the Lord has used our time together to rally us to make a commitment. And we saw a whole basket full of pink cards last night and it was exciting. And we're going to share some of those things with you a little bit later. But before we get going on our question for tonight, I want to talk for just a minute about how we actually get over there. See, it's one thing to make a verbal commitment, kind of like Martha did. We talked about that last night. Remember, she said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Son of God, even he who has come into the world. But then Jesus challenged her, and she started running back the other way and looking back. And Jesus looked at her and he said, Martha, did I not tell you? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. He had to speak a word into her life to remind her, gently remind her of what he was doing. And from my own experience and watching other women as well, I would say this. Usually it takes a rally party to stir up your faith to get you out of mediocrity a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what we've been doing here this week. You know, we've been having this rally party, but it doesn't have to be some big grand thing like this, you know? We've been blessed and we, we thank God for that, but you can have a rally party with the Lord every day as you spend time with him. Or sometimes maybe your rally party from the Lord will come through a, through a truthful sister who's not afraid to speak the truth in your life and gives you a word aptly spoken at, a, at an important time in your life. And all these things kind of stir up your faith. They get you up out of that mediocrity. You step up in faith on that bridge and, and you're ready to move across. And then you look over to the other side and you think, oh my goodness, it's a long way over there, isn't it? I don't know how I'm going to actually ever do that. And see, I think that's where our theme verse this week comes into, into play with great implication because it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. So when we think about how to get over there, we have to remember we got to allow ourselves to be led, ladies. See, once you're up on the bridge, it's all that going through and going over that's the really challenging part. And if you're anything like me, you might look over there and think, wow, I've never been able to do this before. What makes me think I'm going to be able to do this now? <laughs> or that's a really long way over there. Who am I kidding to think that this is going to be any different this time? And I've been in those places, but if I can just share with you from the bottom of my heart, if you don't take anything else home this whole week that we have been together, take this home. You have got to get in God's word on a consistent basis because that is how he is going to lead you from one side to the other. That's how he's going to speak to you. It is the language that he speaks. It's the light for your path. It's the way he's going to give you nourishment when you get tired and weary on that bridge. It's the way he's going to comfort you when you think you're all alone on that place. That's the way he's going to do it. 
2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. That means it came out of God's mouth. Sure, he used men to write this. The Bible is very clear, though, that they were not the ones who wrote it. That the Holy Spirit guided their hands. And that scripture goes on to tell us that it was God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And let me tell you, on the way over, God will use his word in those ways in your life. He'll use it to teach you how to get over. <laughs> He'll use it to rebuke you. If you turn around and start running back, he's going to rebuke you and say, what are you doing? Come on back over this way, honey. You don't have any business going over there. He'll use the word to do that. He'll use it to correct you if you start getting distracted or if you just want to stop and lag for a little while. He'll use it to correct you. He will use it to train you how to get over there. Every person that I know who does a lot of living over here in the land of Moore is a person who is in the word a lot. <laughs> On a daily basis, many times throughout the day. And ladies, established footsteps exist to get women in the word, to help them establish their footsteps in the word, like it talks about in the book of Psalms. Now, we can talk about that all night, and that is the thing that I love to talk about the most. But I really believe that the Lord wants us to answer a question tonight, because if by faith we have been rallied to get up on this bridge, and we grab a hold of God's word, and we're ready to be moving on over there, we know he's going to lead us into more. So we want to talk tonight about what is it actually like over there on the other side. We just got to talk about what is it like over there. You know, when we were seeking the Lord last fall about a title for this event, we really believed he gave us the title of crossing over. But we thought, you know, we, we've got to somehow be able to describe that a little bit more so people know what we're talking about. So we started thinking, okay, crossing over from mediocrity to what do you call that? And we weren't sure, what do you call it over there, you know? And we talked about it, we prayed about it for weeks, and we just couldn't come up with a way to describe that. Because, you know, the Bible says, no eye has seen or ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And we were supposed to put it into a word and put it on a poster. It, that just doesn't work, you know? And so we just kept praying. We kept praying some more. And finally, God gave us a word to use, even though this place over here is really beyond description. But God gave us a word, and the word is more. We had to capitalize the whole thing. That's why your t-shirt, all the words, are, all the letters are capitalized. Because to give it the respect that it deserves, we just had to capitalize it. But we're talking about this place on the other side. And when we talk about that place called more, we're not talking about heaven. I want to make that very clear tonight. Heaven's going to be wonderful. The Bible does talk a lot about it, but still, it's, it's going to be vast beyond our imagination. Maybe you might be so blessed like Rosemary to get, to get a little glimpse of that. I sure would love that. I long for the day when Jesus calls me home. The Bible actually says how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his godly ones. Because he brings them home. <laughs> but we're not talking about heaven when we're, when we're talking about the other side tonight. I hope all of us are going to be in heaven together. We'll get to have another women's VBS every summer in heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome, you know, with women from all over the world? I, I just think it would be awesome. Yeah. But you know what? We're talking about the more that we can experience while we're in this body, while we're living here, the more that Jesus died and resurrected to give us. Now, it's very easy, and a lot of people end up describing this life of abundance in their own way, you know? And a lot of times what ends up happening with that is it ends up revolving around a bunch of material things. Now, I'm not going to tell you 
that God's blessings don't many times show themselves in tangible material things. Many times they do in my life. But you know what? I just have to believe our God's a lot bigger than that. He does works within us that no man can even fathom. His more is so much bigger, so much richer, so much deeper than material things. I think that ever since I was a little girl, God has been planting the seed in my heart that there is more for the ones who will believe and trust in him. I can remember sitting in church and singing these words. Some of them, some of you may be familiar with this hymn. It started off like this. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. It was this idea that there is a higher place to live while we're here than the way everybody else lives. I love the way the second verse of that goes. It says, my heart has no desire to stay. Where doubts arise and fears dismay, though some may dwell where these abound, over here in this place of mediocrity, not me, <laughs> my aim, my prayer is what? Higher ground. That's the place I want to go. I want to go to a higher place. Now, when I was a little girl, I didn't know what that meant, but something was growing inside of me saying there is more for the believer than the way everybody else lives. The Bible actually says in Psalm 61, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. See, we, we got to have that, ladies. And the Bible is very clear. There is more for the believer who will be led by Christ, who will allow themselves to trust and obey and put their faith upon a rock that is higher than I. And it uses all different kinds of words. It says blessings, abundance, fullness, many more words. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In your Bibles, get them out. Let's, let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, we're going to read through this, and then later tonight I'm going to refer to it again. So pay attention to it closely. But this is one verse that's definitely filled with a promise of more. It's a prayer that Paul writes, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you hear those four things that are a description of more? The hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, the inheritance of the saints, the surpassing greatness. All those things are over there in the land of more, and that only skims the surface of what is over there, ladies. It's a place that's beyond complete description. There is a word, though, in this verse that really jumps out at me, and it's the word no. It reminds me of something else from my childhood that my preacher used to say. He used to say these words. Maybe you've heard them before. I know that I know that I know. And I would sit there and think, what? You know that you know that you know. What in the world does that mean? But you know what, as I grew and matured, I came to the understanding that that meant a deep conviction within somebody. Something that they knew so strongly that nothing could change that for them. Kind of like when women stand up here on a stage and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Nobody will take that away from them. And they don't have to, you know, uh, bow to the definition of the world's beauty because they have already been called beautiful by the Son of God. And his opinion matters so much more. They know that they know that they know. Oh, all of you young women, especially in this place, if you can grab a hold of that now, 
Grab a hold of that. Claim that for yourself, that knowing that Jesus loves you. He made you in the way that he did for a purpose. Do not get so involved in trying to measure up to something that you never will. Be who Jesus created you to be. Knowing that you know that you know is a conviction deep within you. And I can't begin to understand all that God has for us over here. I can't begin to do that. But you know what? As I've gotten up out of my mediocrity, as I've stood upon Christ as my bridge, as I've given attention to this word over the last 14 years so he can lead me across, here's what I've realized. God's more doesn't mean that everything in my life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that all is going to be well. That is going to come one day in the by and by in heaven. And I look forward to that day when there is no more sorrow, when I have a new body, when everything is perfect. But that's not the way it's going to be yet. But here's what I've learned about this place. It's just one of the things. I know it's not everything, but I know it's one of the things. That there is going to be a knowing deep within me that no one can take away. And this knowing produces change. It's not going to necessarily change my circumstances, but it's going to change me. And you know what, ladies? When I get changed, a lot of times, you know what happens? My circumstances end up changing too. And that's what I believe the Lord wants us to focus on tonight. This knowing that we come into when we're over here in the land of more. A lot of times we develop this knowing on the way over as Jesus is using the word to teach us. And then all of a sudden when we're over here, we've got these deep convictions that we live by and they make all the difference. So let's just look at a few of these things tonight. Certainly not all of them. And this is certainly not a complete description of what it's like over there. But one that I believe the Lord would have us to focus on tonight. And the first one I want to start with is that more is a place of knowing the truths and the promises of God. It just makes sense to me to start there. You know, over here in worldly mediocrity, everything gets twisted. There's all kinds of confusion. You believe one thing one week and something else the next, and somebody comes along with a new idea, and you ponder it for a while, and you get all excited about it, but then something else new. And, you know, that's just the way that Satan lies to us and deceives us, and we allow ourselves to get entangled in all of that. But see, over here in the land of more, we live with a knowing of the truths and the promises of God. All week we've been talking about John chapter 11 and how Jesus met some of those people in that place and he called them to cross over. Let me do a little bit of follow-up for you. What could allow a woman like Mary, who is so bound up in all these hurts, to pour out her life savings on Jesus in John chapter 12? We're going to read about that in a few minutes. What could propel 11 disciples who were bound up in fear in John chapter 11 to all of a sudden be proclaiming the gospel with power and authority and conviction and no fear. Read about it in Acts chapter 2. By the time they get to that place, these men are powerful warriors for God. What, what, what made that change in them? What could allow certain Jews to risk their life and even be killed for the sake of the gospel when they didn't even believe in John chapter 11? You know what? When they came face to face with who Jesus was when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it changed everything. They came into a knowing of some of the truths and the promises of God. Let me just focus for a minute on, on some promises that flourish over here in the land of more. In Christ, I can live without fear. In Christ, there is provision for every need. Christ, I find my strength. Christ, I find my hope. Christ, there's life after death. There's a presence of God in my life that is just sweet. Even if I feel alone around everybody else, I know 
that there is a presence of God that will never leave me. There's grace beyond my sin and guilt. These promises just go on and on, and they become a knowing within you. And it's such a joy to have those things. It, it just makes that bubble out within you. Even when stuff is going on, you've got this conviction within you that nothing can change. And, and it changes the circumstances, not the circumstances themselves, but the way you look at them. One of, the, one of the promises that God has really just made alive and a deep knowing within me is that God is my provider. You know, there is no way four years ago that God would have ever convinced me to step out and start a ministry, quit my job, you know? And it has been a daily dependence on him for provision. But even in the little things, and you know, it's not like God just shows up with some grand surprise every day, but he's so sweet. He comes at just the right time. You know, you just keep operating in that knowing, and then all of a sudden, he just shows up. Last year, I want to tell you this little story real quick. Last year, when we were preparing for Women's VBS, some of you were there, and we're just so glad you're just continuing to come. But, you know, the month before VBS, I'm telling you, it's intense. <laughs> and, and we just work so hard. Well, by the time we get to that Sunday, we have a rehearsal after church that runs for about 11 to 12 hours straight because we get like one day to throw all this really together, even though we've been working on it in all these different places. Because you got women coming from, you know, all different kinds of churches and things like that, and we've been joining them together and trying to create unity in the body of Christ, and then we got to put it all together. So by the time you fall in the bed on that Sunday night, you are like, oh, good Lord, what are we doing? You know, and I fell in the bed that night, and I was so excited because we've been planning all these things, we're ready to go, but at the same time, I was like, Lord, you know, and so all this stuff was running through my mind, and I was thinking about what did I, I needed to do the next day, and one of the things that all of a sudden popped in my head was, oh, no, i got to figure out something for dinner tomorrow night, <laughs> and you know, the older I get, I just don't really get excited about cooking dinner, um, I just don't. And it's always one of these things. And many of you, you could, you could give me a high five on that. I know you could, you know? Yeah, woo, woo. But anyway, so in my mind, just being honest, I thought, oh, God, wouldn't it be really nice if somebody brought me dinner tomorrow? And then all of a sudden I thought, that's not fair, Sharon. All these other people have been there all day too. They've been working as hard as you. You shouldn't think that. You ought to be taking them dinner for helping you out. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. You know what? But I'm just not going to worry about that right now. i got to go to sleep. Somehow tomorrow morning, Lord, help me figure out this dinner thing. That's just one more thing on the list. The next morning at 8.30, my doorbell rang. I went to the door. I had met this young woman. She was a pastor's wife in our neighborhood earlier in the summer. Really didn't know her that well. Had invited her to VBS. She's standing there with a casserole dish and a bag of bread. And she said, I made you dinner. She said, I know your VBS starts tonight. And she said, last night about 11.30, which was the time that I was doing this, she said, she said, I had made this casserole for a friend who had surgery six weeks ago. She said, I didn't even know why I was doing it. She really doesn't even need it. She says, I went to put it in the refrigerator. The Lord put it on my heart and said, you really need to take that to that Sharon Thomas down the street. She probably could use that. Hallelujah. I was like, that just got me so going. I, I just stood there shocked that God would meet me like that. That he would meet me like that. Now, that doesn't happen every day. I think it will in heaven. I'm not going to have to fix dinner. But you know what? Here, I live with a knowing that God provides for me. So I don't have to get into all this anxiety and striving, even for things as big as what I told you a little while ago, you know, that we still got to finish coming up with the money to pay for this place. God's good. He's shown us every year. He puts us out on the edge and makes us trust him. And he's so good because he provides. But you know what? Ten years ago, there is no way on earth I would have been in this place. 
None. But God has brought me across and I've come into a knowing, a knowing. I don't get all riled up about it anymore. It's not worth it because my God is good. And I live in those promises. You know, we live in truths as well over here in this place of more. We live in truths, just eternal truths that God's our creator. He makes us with purpose. He has a plan for our lives, for our kids' lives. Even when we look at him and sometimes we think, what on earth? You know, but God's doing something. And you keep knowing. And you stay over here. And you don't, you don't go over there. You've got to believe for your children. You were worse than they were one day, you know? I know I was. I know I was. I'm so blessed with my kids. They're a joy. I mean, they drive me nuts sometimes, but they're a joy. And I know God. God has spared their life for a reason. He's put them in our family for a reason. He has great plans for my kids. I'm so thankful for my children. You know, and I have to stay over here in this land of knowing in those places. You know truth. And truth makes a difference in how you look at things. Doesn't mean everything's going to be well. But over here in this place of knowing, there is a conviction. You live different. You live on a higher ground with your feet on a higher rock. I think about this man named John Hamner that we knew years ago, back when we lived in this little town in Alabama. John Hamner's one of the biggest men I've ever known. Just a, just a big guy. I mean, he had the biggest hands of anybody I have ever seen. But John had a tender heart for people and for Jesus. And my husband and I loved he and his wife, Joyce. Well, this was back before, you know, everybody had a cell phone. And John had gone on a remote fishing trip to Montana or something like that. And while he was gone, his precious wife, Joyce, was killed in a tragic car accident. And our whole community knew about it before John because nobody could get in touch with him. So he comes back into town thinking he's going to have a reunion with his wife and finds a house full of people mourning this precious woman. I'll never forget his fun the funeral for Joyce as long as I live. I was singing on the praise team, standing on the, you know, the row, and he was on the front row, big John. We were singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. The place was packed. The windows were open in this church, you know, in this little town in Alabama because not everybody could fit in. It's a hot day and people were out on the lawn. We're singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness and big old John is standing there with a smile on his face, tears just flowing down, singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness at the top of his lungs. You know why he could do that? Not because everything was perfect, but because he had a knowing deep within him of truth that one day he would see his wife. Joyce again and that's a picture of the difference it makes when you live over here you live on a higher plane one of the joys to me this year of ministering in the jail has been to see so many of these women begin to cross over and begin to embrace these truths it leads them to more see they still might be behind bars but they're finding freedom as God leads them to more they find truths and promises in the word as we sit and talk with them about these things. And it gives them a sense of identity and beauty where once they were broken. And, you know, we're just learning how to do this. But I believe God is going to continue to grow that because God is the kind of God that rescues his children so that he can pour his truths and promises in them. See, a lot of these women don't know that they belong to anybody. But when you stand over here in the land of more and you live over here, you begin to know that you belong to Jesus. That you're the apple of his eye. And though everybody else rejects you, you know you belong to him. And that is something that nobody else can give you. That's a knowing deep within you. You know, turn back with me to John chapter 12. I said we were going to make a little bit of reference there. I've asked you to read it this week. If you've taken time to come to read through it. There's just a lot to be seen here. We can't go through all of it. But as we read through John chapter 12, 
We see truth begin to be settled in the hearts of many of these people. We, we, we're going to see in a minute as we read about Mary pouring out her worship on Jesus. You know, that's because she had these truths and promises within her. The disciples all of a sudden are obeying Jesus in new ways. You don't read about it specifically here in John 12, but in a parallel passage in another one of the Gospels, one of the things that happens here in John 12 is a triumphal entry when Jesus comes in and all of the people are, you know, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to him in the highest, and blessed be the name of the Lord. But you know, Jesus rode in on a donkey. Do you know how he got that donkey? Because he sent the disciples to a town and said, you go find this donkey, untie it and bring it with you. And they were like, well, what, what if somebody asks us about it? He said, just tell them I asked for it. Well, you know, that's a little strange. <laughs> and for the disciples who were so afraid in John chapter 11, now they're willing to go to another town and just untie this donkey and bring it to Jesus. How? Because they've come into a knowing of who he is. They've come into some understanding, some depth within them. Many of the Jews are adoring Jesus where once they didn't believe him, but now they've seen that he can raise someone like Lazarus from the dead. And these knowings and these truths were starting to be built within them and they changed in the way they were living. That's what happens when you know. Now I want to talk to you too about another knowing that happens a lot over here. More is a place where you know that Jesus' way is better. See, we've made it very clear. The only way you're going to ever cross over into more is through the power of the cross. Do you know what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23? If you want to turn there, you can, I'm sure. Many of you are familiar with it. It says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, a lot of people don't want to deny themselves. That doesn't sound like more. <laughs> that sounds painful. That doesn't sound like any fun at all. But they haven't come into a knowing that the way of sacrifice is better. See, most see the cross when Jesus poured out his life for us and they think rejection, pain, beatings, death, all very true. But when you walk with Jesus for a while and you let him instruct you in the word, he begins to show you the beauty of the cross, the beauty of sacrifice, the freedom you're going to find there, the grace and the love. The beauty of giving up yourself. See, Jesus lived beyond himself. And I am really coming. This is one of these things that Jesus is building in me now. But I believe it's something that really is a part of being over here in the land of more. When you, when you dwell over here, you come into a knowing that doing life Jesus' way, being willing to give up yourself, is really the better way. It's not a requirement of the believer. It's the privilege of the believer. To give up your life for another. And the irony of it is, when you do that, Jesus is going to make you fuller than you ever could be on your own. See, the normal average way for mediocre people to live is totally focused on themselves. But Jesus said you have to deny yourself. Jesus said that. You know, I've been looking at John chapter 12. I've been looking at John chapter 12 and just thinking about some of these things. I want us to read John 12, 1 through 3. It says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary pours herself out. Many believe that this perfume was very expensive, probably her life savings. 
She poured out her dignity as she wasn't supposed to be around the table with a bunch of men. She poured out her pride as she started washing the dirty feet of Jesus. You know what? Many scholars believe that Mary already knew what Jesus was getting ready to do. Maybe he had shared that with her as she sat at his feet. Jesus himself even says, she's preparing me for my burial. And I just have to wonder if she had already come into a knowing, this man is going to pour out his life for me. He's going to be the perfect sacrifice. And so she realized that self didn't matter anymore in the face of all of that. And so she began to pour out herself. She already came into that knowing. You know, I think about all the years that I spent so focused on myself. What did I get out of that? Nothing. <laughs> but a lot of pain, a lot of depression, a lot of rejection, a lot of loneliness. And it causes me to think about women as well who also fall into that trap of being self-focused that is so such, such a thing that's held high in our culture. And usually it so, shows itself in one of two ways. Either you have the woman who is totally focused on herself, always talking about herself, has to put herself first, has to spend money on herself, and then if she happens to have any leftover, maybe she'll happen to share with somebody else. Or if she happens to have enough time, maybe she might give some to somebody else. You know, it's just all about her. We all know people like that. Maybe we are that person when we look in the mirror. Who knows? I was for a long time. But self-focus can also look very different than that. Self-focus can be somebody who feels worthless and ugly, not measuring up, maybe even hurting themselves because they feel so worthless. But you know what? That's a total self-focus as well. And it shows itself in one of two extremes like that. But see, we don't have to live like that, ladies. God has called us to more. And over here in this land of more, you know that you don't have to be focused on yourself. Jesus has already focused on you enough and taken care of that. And now you can focus on living the way he said, and he will fill you up beyond what you could ever imagine. The irony is when we give ourselves up, he fills us up fuller. God is really doing a work in me in this area. I'm not so sure I've really gotten over here in this knowing in this. But really in this last year, it's been a huge thing in my life. And because I'm not someone who's been willing to give up much. I'm just being honest with you. But I want to tell you about something that happened to me when we were in Romania last October. We spent some time at uh, an apartment with some girls there, seven of them. They all grew up in Romanian orphanages during communism. Now they're in their 20s and 30s. I had actually met them the time before when I went to Romania. These girls are so needy for attention. They just really have these attachment disorders almost because nobody, you know, took care of them at all. Nobody poured into them at all during so many of their formative years. They're so needy that they're almost like will smother you. And some of you who went with me, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But when we got to Romania this time, we were going to work with these girls again because the ministry that we went to help has put these seven of these girls in an apartment. And I'm talking a little teeny apartment. The kitchen is literally this big. We fixed dinner for 15 people two times. And literally you had to take a broom and push it against the stove or the oven to hold the door closed so everything could cook right. I mean, that, that, that's how it is in this apartment. Mold was growing on the walls. You know, I mean, and these were apartments that were built during communism. So you just even wondered what in the world has gone on in these places. But these girls are so thankful to have a place to live. Well, we had been doing a conference all weekend. I was exhausted, to be honest with you, just had poured out ourselves. Um, I'm only telling you this so you can understand. There was nothing that would have served any of us in this place. 
you know, the situation itself and what it looked like, it, it just didn't make you feel very good, didn't make you feel very clean, you know. These girls were, you know, almost just smothering you, and we were there for like eight and nine hours for two days in a row. The weather had turned very, very cold. I hadn't brought the right clothes. I wore the same pair of socks that I borrowed from somebody else for five days in a row. You know, I mean, I, I was freezing in this apartment, and I was very tired, but we had been doing all different kinds of things, doing crafts, and we did really have a good time. But I was sitting there and there was this girl named Sheila and she had uh, just really we had seen how God was moving in our life and we had drawn out our life stories and pictures and we were sharing them with Miha who was interpreting and Sheila sat there and she was sharing her story and we were all just listening and we were hearing what God had done and I just have to tell you ladies a fullness rose up in me it was like time stopped and everything was still and a fullness rose up in me like I have never one of my favorite places to be in all the world is sitting on the edge of a Caribbean island and somebody comes and hands me a non-alcoholic pina colada and a pineapple. I mean, that is like life to me. That is like more to me. And if I can just let you know that what God gave me in that moment when we were pouring out our lives for these girls isn't even on the same page as sitting on the Caribbean island with the pineapple. The only other time that that has happened for me was later this year when I was sitting in the jail on a Friday night. I was in this little cubicle, talking on the phone, trying to hear. It was very loud because the man next to me visiting some woman, he was screaming profanities at her and I could barely hear. I had my Bible open, the girl I was visiting had hers open and we're on this phone trying to talk through what we were studying in Romans. And all of a sudden, once again, out of nowhere, time stopped. And this fullness from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, rose up in me. And God is teaching me about this knowing. See, he will fill us up to much more fullness than we ever can grab a hold of on our own. See, over here in this land of more, the way of Jesus is much better. <laughs> and you come into a knowing of that. And it begins to affect what you do with your time, what you do with your money, how you think about yourself, and how you look at other women out there who really need somebody to reach out to them. I want to talk to you about one more thing over here in the land of more, and it's a place where you live beyond the world. <laughs> the Bible says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? If you turn over to 1 John chapter 2, you'll find a description of the world. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing, but it basically says it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's a description of the world. Lust of the flesh, anything that rises up in you, you know you want it so bad and you just grab a hold of it. It might be, you know, sexual immorality, it might be impure thoughts, it might be overeating. You just cave into your desires, whatever they are, even though you know you shouldn't, but that's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes when you're consumed with materialism, what you can get, what you can possess, that's the lust of the eyes. The boastful pride of life, where you're always seeking to just exalt yourself, maybe even above God. The Bible says, without Christ, every person is enslaved to those three things. And that's normal over here. It's even applauded. It's even used for entertainment. Sometimes if it has, happens to cause a problem, we just blame it on everybody else, you know. 
But that is the normal way, those three things. But Christ has more for us than that. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. That sounds very different from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. You know, I found in Ephesians 1, the scripture that we read earlier, when I saw that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, that it could resurrect me from dead living, I began to realize I don't have to live that way. Isn't that amazing? I could cross over into something else. I've been living that way for so long, I, I don't know the difference. One of the first times Jesus ever led me across in that area was about 12 years ago. And let's just say I was dealing with a bunch of stuff in the lust of the flesh category. I was stuck over here with a will that didn't want to change, a pleasure-seeking mentality. I, I didn't have any belief. But then the Holy Spirit showed me Ephesians 1. And I thought, there's some power to overcome this. If, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, well, then I don't have to live this way. Not long after that, I was reading in Romans 6. And God's word just spoke so strongly to me. I'm a visual learner. And God really gave me a vision through a verse here that I want to read for you in Romans 6, 11 through 14. It says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but you are under grace. And you know what happened for me as I read that? The Holy Spirit gave me this picture of I can present myself to God on a platter, or I can present myself to Satan on a platter. And every time I started to get tempted with these areas of the lust of the flesh that I was struggling with, God would put that image in my mind from his word that's so powerful. And I would think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give myself to Satan. And I would start to make some corrections. And his word began to change me and to train me. And things began to change. Now, I'm not going to say this crossing over was easy. There were times I wanted to give in so badly to what my flesh was desiring. And many times I did. But little by little, as I allowed the word to train me, you know what it yielded? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11 says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. In other words, when you want what you want and you discipline yourself to not take it, that doesn't feel very good. It feels pretty sorrowful in the moment. But that verse goes on to say, but to those who have been trained by that discipline, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Recently, the Lord showed me a phrase in Psalms. It's, it says, the tumult of iniquity. And I thought, wow, how many years did I live in just a tumult all the time? Consequences of my own sin, my own choices, this tumult of iniquity. How many people do you know that live in the tumult of iniquity? Always consequences and trials and challenges and blah, going on. Or I can live over here with knowing that God can rescue me out of my own sinful nature and allow me to enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, there's a knowing that God can rescue you out of those things. It was a long and challenging process. But God, little by little, showed me what he can do. And I'm so grateful for that. Because still things come up in my life. And the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the eyes. And the boastful pride of life. But I don't get stuck there anymore. 
I might dwell there for a little while, but eventually, because I'm in the Word every day, God begins to use His Word and be powerful and bring me back to Romans 6. Some of you are familiar with Romans 6 because we handed you a flyer when you walked in the door tonight about that. I am so excited because ever since God really delivered me in that area, I have wanted to write a Bible study about Romans 6. And we're going to use that passage as our memorization chapter for the fall. And I really pray that you will consider joining in. This year we're calling it Memorization and More because we're doing the Memorization Project where we're going to literally memorize Romans 6 this fall. And you can do that. Don't tell yourself you can't. you got the living spirit of God within you. You can be a part of that. But we're also, I'm going to write a Bible study this fall that goes along with that each week. You can join in online or you can actually come where we're going to be, I'm going to be teaching it right here in Hampton at a church that's letting us use their facility. And we're going to be there together every week and uh, we're going to be filming that. So we need some people to come for that because we want to produce this as a new study. We have some other studies and I wanted to bring them out here to show you tonight. You might have seen them out there. But our ministry has some other studies, one called Face to Face with His Loving Kindness, it's a study in the Psalms, another called Loving Life, it's a study in 1 Peter. These are great Bible studies that you can use on your own in a group. We've also got some teachings that we specifically produce so that you could have some extra teachings when you go home. Now, these are just some of our resources. There's tons of resources out there. But there's no reason why we should not be using God's word to get us across and to get us out of this worldly living that everybody else lives. We should not look like that, ladies. We don't have to look like that. There is a knowing over here that you do not have to be enslaved to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. A lot of sin in these areas goes on in secret, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? And secrecy is the devil's playground. <laughs> but God can rescue us out of that stuff. Now, God can do that. We have to know, though, that everybody is not interested in going over here. You remember Judas? You remember some of these Jews that didn't want to go across? You know, Judas and a lot of these Jews also saw the resurrection of Lazarus. They were right there. But let's look just real quickly in John chapter 12 at some things that happened. In John 12, 4 through 6, after Mary pours out this perfume on, Jude, on Jesus... It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He was enslaved to the lust of his flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. He stayed over here. What about in verses 9 and 10? You read about the Jews. And how they, they were so interested in power. They wanted to kill Lazarus. Like, had Jesus not already shown you? That's not going to work. <laughs> you know? I mean, they, he raised him from the dead. One of the saddest verses in the Bible to me is John 12, 42 and 43. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of Wow, they chose that over this. You know, all this striving to have something and be something and do something, it's a hollow illusion of more, and it's not more. <laughs> the real promise of more is here for us in Christ. See, we may not be pilfering a money box like Judas or coming against Jesus, but 
let's be honest, we can get caught up in this worldly striving stuff too, can't we? Just like those who wanted to believe in Jesus, but they got so interested in the approval of men. See, if I had to put it in a statement, I would say this. Mediocrity is a place of human striving. More is a place of knowing God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That same verse in the New American Standard Version says, Cease striving and know that I am God. Let me say that statement for you again. Mediocrity is a place of human striving. More, it's a place of knowing God. Mediocrity is a place of striving for the approval of man. More is a place of knowing God's favor. Mediocrity is a place of striving around all these anxious thoughts. But more is a place of knowing God's peace, knowing his rest. Mediocrity is a place of striving to take care of yourself. And more is a place of knowing the care of the God you worship. Mediocrity is a place of striving for stuff, and then more stuff, and more stuff. You just never can get enough. But more, it's a place. It's a place of knowing God's provision in your life. Mediocrity is a place of striving to be just like everybody else. But more, more is a place of knowing God created you in his image with purpose and vision for your life. More is a place of knowing, knowing you were a sinner, knowing you had a debt to pay, and knowing you were powerless to pay it. More is a place of knowing, knowing Jesus is the Son of God, knowing he came to earth to save you, knowing him and exalting him in your life. More is a place of knowing. Knowing his ways are better. Knowing his arm is stronger. Knowing his love is sweeter. More is a place of knowing. Knowing that you know that you know. He is God. Sometimes, that might be all you know, but you know. And see, ladies, we have got to get to that place. We have got to get to that place. We've got to get to that place over here where we know that we know that we know. We can't begin to describe everything that's going to happen in the life of a person who lives over here, but one of the things is that they're going to have some deep convictions in their lives. I want to be a woman of conviction. That's who I want to be. I want to be somebody that knows who I am in Christ and stands upon his promises and doesn't live according to the world and realizes that his way of sacrificial living is a better way to live. Those are some of the knowings we can come into as women of God. Have you ever heard this statement? I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Well, ladies, let me tell you something. You've come to it. <laughs> You've come to it. It's right here. It's right in front of us. He'll lead us across. And remember, let me tell you this. He did not stay over here and say, hey, sure would like for you to come on over here sometime. He didn't send the letter and say, boy, if you're ever driving by, be sure to stop in. I'd love to visit with you some. No, that's not what he did. Jesus walked across all the way over into
into our world. And he didn't stand up on the top of the bridge and holler down at us either, like some deep authority person. No, he got down in the mediocrity with us. He took our debt upon himself and said, go ahead, come on, just go right on over, cross on over. You know what? He did that once for our salvation, and the bridge is still present for any crossing over anything we need to do in this life. I don't know how else to describe it but more, but I can tell you this, sure is worth crossing for. And you know what? I know that many of you are ready to do that because you told us that last night. And we're going to take a moment right now to rejoice in what God has done, in these knowings that we have come into as we watch many of these responses just flow in front of us and we listen to this song. Just sit back and rejoice. Pray for the women around you who have made these decisions and for yourself and continue to respond to the Holy Spirit as he's saying, come on, cross over. I came over there to get you away, to get on over, sweet sister, and I want you to go. I do not want you to have to stay over here. Let's listen. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. <laughs> 